As he groped along the streets With his hands stretched out for pennies Or for just a bite to eat It's the story of a blind man Who met Jesus on his way And with the master's touch The man looked up As the scoffers heard him say Let's take our Bibles today, turn over the book of Psalm, Psalms chapter 116, Psalm 116. That's a powerful song, isn't it? Amen. What a message, amen? Since he touched me, I'll tell you what, what a difference the Lord Jesus Christ makes. He makes all the difference, amen? Wow. Psalm chapter 116, verses 16 through 19. There in our passage we read, O Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer thee to 
uh, the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house. In the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Again, I want to draw our attention to those first few words. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant. In his January 20th, 1961 inaugural address, John F. Kennedy, facing a nation in turmoil and a world in crisis, made a statement that lives on to this day. With communism on the rise throughout the world, threatening our way of life and liberty, with racism raging and the threat of nuclear war, he mounted the pulpit of that historic day, and there he changed the people of the United States with these simple words. He said, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Through the years, countless men and women have taken to heart those words and have given their life, have yielded themselves in service to their country and to each and every one of us that are present today. They've selflessly sacrificed life and limb to provide the amazing freedoms that we now possess. They've embraced the words of President Kennedy. They paid the ultimate price in doing so. They served this country well. This morning, in our passage, we are introduced to a man who is determined to serve as well. He is the servant of God, and he is the servant of God unapologetically. As a matter of fact, he's very vocal about his service. He's very visible in his perspective and practice. He says, O Lord... Truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant. Even as so many men and women have served this nation well, no one has served this world better than the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, the psalmist is saying, O Lord, I am thy servant. It is wonderful to give your life to a nation that has built its principles on the Word of God. But it is even a greater accomplishment to serve the God who put the nation in place. And today I want to ask this very simple question of each and every one of us. Will you serve God? And I want to give you three reasons why we ought to serve Him. Very simply. So before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll continue in our message. Father, we thank you for this privilege that we had to gather today already. Father, for the choir and what a powerful song, an impressionable song they sang. And we thank you for it. And just the fact, Lord, that somebody touched me and somebody touched so many of these. Thank you, Father, for just the reminder. And Lord, for those nursery workers back there that are holding down the fort and enabling us to be able to worship here without distraction, be able to share from your word without distraction. Lord, we thank you for them and for the junior church and others that are involved in ministry even outside this room now. However, Lord, right now in this place, we ask that you would show up in a mighty way. Holy Spirit of God, fill me with your spirit. And Lord, may you anoint every listening ear that they may hear those things that you want them to hear. Now, Father, do this miracle in our heart. May we be better and different for having come. Lord, may you be glorified in the midst midst of this message and in the midst of this thy people. We'll thank you in Christ's name. 
Amen. The psalmist says, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant. Will you serve God? Well, let me give you those three reasons. Number one, you ought to serve God because of who he is. You ought to just serve God because of who he is. The psalmist says, O Lord, O Lord, I am thy servant. That word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. O Lord. The psalmist uses that term, and and that term is a a word used in the Word of God as Yahweh. It's an Old Testament term, and it's identifying God. And basically, the psalmist is addressing the all-existent, the all-powerful one, God, the Creator. His respect, his adoration to the Lord is extremely evident. Without a doubt, we can say he recognizes who God is. And as he looks at him, he's saying, I am thy servant. I'm thy servant because you are God. You are creator. You are the giver of all life. The apostle Paul, he puts it this way over in the book of Acts as he speaks to the Athenians in chapter 17. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own prophets have said, for we also are his offspring. Again, he's talking about God and he's saying, for in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. That is the God in which we serve. That is the God that demands and deserves our service today. He is a God who created all things. He is a God who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He's the great I Am. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000 in my soul. He is all together lovely. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He's the only begotten of the Father and the resurrection and the life. He is he who is called the way, the truth, and the life. He's king of kings and lord of lords. This is our God. Creator of all things. And he is worthy of our praise, but he's also worthy of our service. You ought to serve God because of who he is. The fact that you and I would not even exist without the Lord is proof positive that we ought to be willing to take our place as his servant. We, like the psalmist, should say, I am thy servant. I am thy servant, Lord. We ought to serve him because of who he is. Number two, we ought to serve him because of what he has done. Not just because of who he is, but what he has done. In verse 16 again, the psalmist speaking, talks about being loosed. About being loosed. He he makes the statement in verse 16. He says, um, thou hast loosed my bonds. Thou hast loosed my bonds. He implies or suggests then that he was enslaved. He was in bondage. He was imprisoned in a sense then. He was not free, that's for sure, without a doubt. And so the Lord, according to the psalmist, loosed or freed him from his bondage. The fact is that you and I have been enslaved as well. We've been enslaved in sin. We've been in bondage to Satan, the devil, our adversary. 
He holds the deed, if you will, or ownership on us. I have a car, and uh, I have a deed to that car. And that deed implies and states that I'm the owner of it. It's my property. I hold the deed, the title. It's my car. The fact is, is that when you and I are born into this world, Satan holds the deed to us in our life. He literally holds the deed. We are his property according to the word of God. Now that is not a concept or, or something that we like to discuss and talk about, but it is a reality of life. It's a reality of eternity. You and I are bound by Satan because we are his property. We are born into sin, we'll live in sin, and we will die in our sin. We are enslaved by it. How alarming is it to think that we could be or are the property of Satan? But the psalmist speaks of being loosed. He speaks of being freed. And that same loosing, that same freeing can be yours and mine today in Christ Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was bound on a cross. He was nailed to that cross. And there he paid for the sin of the entire world. He paid for the sins of those before him, those during his lifetime, and those even that would come, you and I. There he suffered, bled, and died, according to Isaiah chapter 53, when it says, Surely he hath borne our sins, excuse me, borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. For with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus Christ bore the sin of the entire universe? He bore your sin and mine on Calvary. When he took his place on that cross, he had you in his heart and on his mind. His sacrifice provided us the privilege of, of this great freedom that we have now in him. But it must be found in Christ. Through his blood, the grace of God is free to work in our lives. And God's now able to extend that marvelous grace and to give us what we don't deserve, all because of his sacrifice. And what we don't deserve is forgiveness, a future, or freedom at all. Freedom from sin and the consequences of it. We don't deserve freedom from the enslaving power of Satan in our life. We don't deserve freedom from the harsh taskmaster and his abiding rule over our lives. And yet, we have that freedom. We've been given that opportunity all because of the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. In John 8, 36, the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Boy, we're free indeed, the Bible says. That's a wonderful thing, freedom. That's what men and women have given their lives for in this great nation in which we live, for freedom, for liberty, for the opportunity to be able to express ourselves and to have the right to, to share our feelings and to be ourselves and to be individuals and to have the freedom to exercise our conscience concerning our God, whatever God it may be. It doesn't matter because that's why they died. That's why they sacrificed to give you and I the freedom to meet here, to congregate, to, to express our faith even if that be the case. And you know what? That's why Jesus Christ died on that old cross too. So that we could be free from the enslavement and the bondage of Satan. So that we could be free to serve and to give our life to him and to allow 
ourselves to experience the joy, the peace, the purpose that he intended. We're free. Colossians chapter 2. Turn there if you would please. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. It's in your New Testament. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. We read there in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13 through verse 15, And you, being dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Isn't that good? I like that right there. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having polluted, uh, spoiled principles, principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Man, I like that he blot out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. You know, that, that law stated that if we sinned against God, if we, we committed adultery, if we, committed, uh, if we lied, if we, we did this and that, thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that and thou shalt not this. Boy, i tell you what, that was nailed there. It was, it was in place. And the truth is, is that we were all destined to failure. None of us could live up or measure up to the commands that God had given. None of us were holy enough, good enough, or able to live a life that would measure up to the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments were given to prove to us that we couldn't live up to it, that we needed something more than a command, that more than a rule or a regulation. We needed a Savior named Jesus ultimately that would come. And when He did come, He, he was nailed to that cross, and with Him were the ordinances nailed to it as well. And boy, He said, guess what? The penalty for your sin has been nailed to the cross. It's taken care of. It's paid in full. And I like that today. I'm excited about that. And I'll never, ever, ever, ever pay for my sin. Never. Oh, I may have to endure the consequences of sin in this life, but I won't pay eternally for my sin. I will never pay eternally. Oh, yeah, again, if I mess up and sin against God, I, make a, a, I go my own direction and do my own thing. There are consequences, and those consequences will follow me. They may leave scars in my life. But let me tell you, when I get to heaven, they'll be remembered no more. My sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been nailed to the cross. I'll never be judged for my sin. Today, we are no longer bound by sin. We're no longer enslaved by Satan. And as a result, we're free to serve the living and true God. We're free to give him our allegiance, our loyalty. We're free to yield our whole heart to his will and surrender unceasingly to his every single whim. We're free indeed, but we're free to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. See, you couldn't serve God if you tried before you came to Jesus Christ. Because again, you were the property of Satan. But because you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, because when you put your faith in Him, the ordinance were nailed to that cross and you'll never pay for that sin, He paid for it. Because you became the property of Jesus Christ, you now can be the servant of the Lord Jesus, who's not a harsh taskmaster at all, but a loving, loving Father. What's it mean to be a servant? Well, the word servant is derived from the Greek word doulos. It means bond slave. 
Again, that doesn't sound too good in our context today in America. But a bond slave, we can't get around it, is someone who is not at his own disposal, but at his master's disposal. He's his master's purchased property, a bond slave. He's been bought to serve the master, to meet his needs, to be at his beck and call every moment. That's what a bond servant is. Now, again, in history, American history, we obviously know and we'll have to agree that there's nothing positive about slavery. There's nothing good about it. It's wrong. And yet, when it comes to Jesus Christ, it's different. See, when men have to serve men, it's one thing. But when men serve God, it's a totally different issue. God is not like man. His ways are not like ours. God doesn't impose His will for the sake of causing hurt and heartache. If He imposes His will, it's for our own benefit and our own good. He's a kind, good, and loving master. Worthy of our praise, as we said, and worthy of our service. And because of the price that He's paid for us, how could we not want to serve Him? For what He's already done. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which is what you have of God and you're not your own. Here's the part that we need to understand. Verse 20, for you're bought with a price. It costs God something to purchase you out of sin. It cost God His Son, Jesus Christ. It cost Him Himself because He is God. And God in flesh came to this earth and God suffered on Calvary and God died at the hands of His own creation. It cost Him everything. You and I were bought with a price. I mean, we ought to serve God because of what He has done. We ought to serve Him because of who He is. We ought to serve Him because of what He's done. But also, last, we ought to serve God because of where... You ought to serve God because of where you're going. That's, that's a good thought. Where do you go when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You go to heaven. That sounds good to me. You know, we live in a very unstable world, don't we? I mean, honestly, it used to be years ago, people never locked their doors, and you could walk down the street and be confident that no harm would come to you or your family. But let's just be honest. I don't know that we all feel quite that safe today. I'm not convinced that we all have that great a confidence in our, our society in which we live, or the, even the neighbors and friends around us. I mean, today they have websites you can go to to find those that have been involved in different kind of crimes and situations that obviously you wouldn't want your children around them. You may not want to be around them yourself. And there's all kind of things that we're concerned about and we're fearful of. Crime, you know, we hear about from time to time is on the rise and then it goes down a little bit and then it changes and this and that. And, but every time we turn around, we're thinking to ourselves, we're just less safe than we were yesterday. Whether it's airbags that we're concerned about blowing up and shooting something into our body or whether it's somebody the, accosting us or somehow hurting us or harming us, one way or another, we feel unsafe so often, it seems, in this world in which we live. But you know what? As a believer, the one thing we can 
truly rest our hat on is knowing that heaven's our home one day. Amen. Heaven's our home. Look, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> the psalmist says, O Lord, I am thy servant. I am thy servant. And you and I ought to serve God because of where we're going. First Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Who are kept. Notice a couple things about the passage. Number one, the duration. Notice the duration of this. I mean, where are we going? We're going to heaven. What's the duration? He goes to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. Now we know that in the Word of God, we talk about over in the book of James chapter 4 verse 14, uh, that our life is but a vapor that appears for a little time then vanisheth away. It vanisheth away. It fades away. That's how this life is characterized in the Word of God. A fleeing moment. In light of eternity, a fleeing moment. But the Bible also teaches the other side of the spectrum when it comes to eternity and heaven. When it says to us that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. It never goes away. It's eternal. It's forever. The duration. You say, why, why should I serve God? Well, you ought to serve God because of who He is. You ought to serve God because of what He's already done. But you also ought to serve God because of where you're going. And where you're going is a place that's going to be forever, the duration. We see also the destination again, reserved in heaven for you, in heaven. Again, we, we talk about having eternal life, but we're talking about living with the Lord Jesus forever in a place called heaven. So it says, well, New Jerusalem, call it New Jerusalem, call it what you want, but it's a heavenly place. It's a wonderful place. I like Revelation Chapter 21, verse 4, when the Bible makes the statement, and I don't want to misquote it, I, I, I probably will if I try to do it by memory, but it says over there in chapter 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I love that verse. The older you get, the more you'll probably like it. Let's read that. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Won't that be a blessing? Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. There's a blessing right there, huh? For the former things are passed away. See, those are all characteristics and qualities of the life in which we live. Death, pain, tears, sorrow, but not in heaven. That's a forever life of joy and blessing. And someone says, well, it just doesn't make sense. You're telling me it's just, you act like it's just paradise. Exactly. Yes, exactly. At least that's how the Lord describes it. 
I mean, I guess if we don't believe there's a creator, we can throw that out. I suppose if we don't believe that the creator left us a message, we can throw that out. I guess if we say, well, I believe there's a creator and I believe he left a message, but I'm not convinced the word of God is that message because I think men got mixed up in it and there's errors and all kind of mess in it, well, then we can throw that out. The only problem is, is what do you have to hang your hat on if you don't have a God that created all things, if you don't have a love letter from him, if you don't have a word that's sure, what do you have? Nothing. And someone says, well, if that's why you believe, it's just because you want some hope, well, then, you know what, you're just blindly believing. Well, I don't know. Like some young kid told me the other day, he said, man, I don't understand how, I don't understand how people can be atheists and believe that this, this all happened. A kid. Smarter than most adults. I don't know how this just happened. Guess what? It didn't just happen. Because we do have God as a creator. And that's why we ought to serve him because of who he is. And we ought to serve him because of, of what he has done. By dying on Calvary and paying for our sin. And then we ought to serve him because of where we're going. We have the duration, the destination, and we have that deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're kept by the power of God. That's who keeps us secure. That's who keeps us safe. That's who guarantees us that home in heaven. None other than Jesus Christ and the Lord God Almighty. The psalmist cried, O Lord, I am thy servant. I am thy servant. And he'd go on to say in Psalm chapter 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, he left no doubt in the eyes of God or in the eyes and minds of men whose servant he was. Nobody had to question. Nobody had to guess. He was very vocal about it. He was very visible about who he served and who his God was. The question today, this morning is, whose servant are you? Whose servant are you? I hope you're the servant of God. I hope you can say along with the psalmist, O Lord, I am thy servant. As we began our message this morning, we noted President Kennedy's address and his statement, Ask not what your country can do for you, Ask what you can do for your country. That statement could just as easily be applied to the Christian and the kingdom of God. Child of God, ask not what your Savior can do for you. Ask what you can do for your Savior. The psalmist was clearly the servant of God. He was unashamedly quick to state it. Who knows that you're the servant of God? Does your wife, your husband, do your children, do your co-workers know that you're the servant of God? Do your teachers know you're the servant of God? Do your students know? I mean, who knows that? Like the psalmist, do you cry out, O oh Lord, O oh God of all creation, O oh God who who placed me in this place and put breath in my lungs, oh God, that is worthy of praise, that did all that he did for me on Calvary, put himself in harm's way, suffered, bled, and died, was buried, and rose again. Oh Lord, the one who gives to me heaven, eternity, life everlasting, 
I am thy servant. Do they know it? In his book, 70 by 7, The Freedom of Forgiveness, David Uggsberger tells of General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army who had lost his eyesight. His son Bromwell was given the difficult task of telling his dad that there would be no recovery to his lost eyesight. A great man of God, William Booth. A great soul winner. Do you mean that I'm blind? Said the general. I hear we must contemplate that, his son replied. Booth said, well, I shall never see your face again. No, probably not in this world, Dad. Bromwell said, William Booth, I've, I've done what I could for God and for his people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can do for God without my eyes. Isn't that something? Done what I could do for God with my eyes. Now I'll do for God what I can do for God without my eyes. Boy, Booth's attitude was, with or without my eyes, I'm going to serve. Oh, Lord, I am thy servant. With or without my legs, I will serve. With or without my family, I will serve. With or without my health, I will serve. I will serve. I will serve. That is the duty of all believers. It's not just our place to demand of God, but to deliver to God. We're to be His servants today. He's earned that right. He deserves our allegiance and our loyalty today. You and I ought to serve the Lord because of who He is, because of what He has done, because of where we're going. The psalmist said, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant. It's clear that he was the servant of God. The question is this, are you? Because that's what God desires. That's what he deserves. And if we're truly honest about it, that's what he demands truly biblical because we owe him everything do you know Christ is your savior this morning I mean if you died are you confident that heaven would be your home and we've already talked about the fact of who he is do you believe that he is who he says he is God creator savior lord but maybe he's not done with you he's not even become your savior yet You've never invited him into your life. You've never trusted him with your sin, your salvation, and your eternity. He says in the book of John, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Yes, we are born into sin, and Satan has title and deed to us. But that all changes the moment we exercise our faith in Christ and invite him into our life as Savior, he then 
tears up, if you will, and puts out a new title. Paid in full, my possession. You're bought with a price. And boy, we become his property. Paid in full. And then we are guaranteed not only to be part of his family, but also to be guaranteed, as he says, an inheritance that's uncorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. We can have that home. You can have that today. If you've never trusted him, won't you do that today before we dismiss? Won't you take just a moment and come forward when the music starts and let someone show you the promises from his blessed book, the Word of God, how you know you too can know for sure heaven's your home? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know that. Don't let anyone tell you differently. You can know, not because of how you live, what you do, or what a church believes, including this one, but what God's Word teaches and His promises to you personally. You can know. Let someone take a Bible in a few moments and show you those precious promises. If you're a child of God, are you His servant? And if you are, what kind of servant are you? Let's be the best servant we can possibly be for Him. And if we're in need of salvation, let's settle it this morning. Father, we come.